everybody. Welcome back to the Big Mark Podcast. It's me, your host, Big Mark. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If not, welcome back. Like I always say, if you want to support the podcast, go check us out at our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Big Mark Pod. You can always reach out to the podcast. Uh, let us know what you want to hear. Uh, DM us, you know, um, tweet us, do all that fun stuff. Instagram at uh, the Big Mark Pod and Twitter at the Big Mark Podcast. And um, yeah, if uh, like I said, if you ever wanted to have any topics or wanted to be a guest, please come on. Um, uh, like I said, some of my friends have reached out, and you know that's how we've how we've got them on the show. So I'm always uh, I'm always looking for new guests, and uh, I can't wait to have you on the show. Um, you know, I've uh, I had a lot of fun doing uh, doing the vinyl podcast last time, and. And talking a little bit, a little bit about mu- uh, music, and uh, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about movies today. Um, definitely another one of my passions, but probably one of my favorite movies of all time. We're going to talk about today, called The Big Lebowski. Honestly, especially when I first started watching it, which probably, I think I first saw it in high school, I was in love with this movie. Um, I still am to this day. Every time I watch it. Um, it's one of those, it's one of those movies where it's kind of a little bit, I guess it's a little bit of a cult classic, but, um, it's one of those movies that when you watch it again, it, it, it changes. And, and that's an interesting thing, you know, talked to some of my friends before and, and everyone's kind of on, on one side or the other, but, um, um, you know, there's. That whole thing about rewatching movies, rewatching shows, going back—you know—it's really tough to kind of buy into one side or the other, because obviously, just watching new stuff, and you know, once you've watched something, you've seen it, you don't want to go back and see it. Um, you know, I understand that you can see a lot of new stuff, you can see a lot of really interesting things. Uh, obviously, because you can only, you know, watch and listen and hear and do all that stuff once or. Or whatever, right? But where I come from, I mean, you know, the side that I'm on is when I rewatch things, I always seem to find something that I missed before. Whether even listening to music and and doing all that stuff, L- music for me is almost like a study. I find where I'm I'm re-listening to songs again is to try and really figure them out. Um, but but with movies, I find, you know, and uh, there's always one rule I kind of live by too. Shout out, shout out Brian Callen. Um, he always said, if you don't like a movie, before you say anything about it, about it watch it again. You know, give yourself some time, but watch it again. Uh, because you never know, maybe that day you were just in a bad mood, or you ate something weird, or it was a bad circumstances, or reminded you of someone. I mean... I can't tell you how many things, books, movies, television that I've tried tried to watch or tried to read or tried to look at a bunch of times and um, the first few times it didn't work but I, for whatever reason I kept going back and kept trying and then things really, really worked out. The Hobbit, when I read The Hobbit, it took me a bunch of tries to figure it out but once I finished it, it was amazing. Um, and, and again, you know, I couldn't even list all the movies, but there's certain movies where the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, I don't know about this. And you watch it again. You're like, oh, OK, I kind of get it now. Or in many cases, 
it just reinforces that you really just don't like that movie. Uh, sorry, Baby Driver. That one always does it for me. I've given that movie so many chances. And anyway, um, but th- this movie, when I watch it and I watch it again and I watch it again, it just never ceases to amaze me. It still makes me laugh. Just the situations are, are hilarious. It's amazing. If you've never seen the movie, please go watch it. Stop the podcast right now because you're probably going to get some spoilers. But if you have watched it, I can't wait to kind of go along with you. And if you've only watched it once, maybe, you know, maybe we'll prompt you to to watch it again today, right? So a little bit, a little bit about the movie, just uh, before we kind of get into things here. You know, I don't want to go over too, too much. Probably going to kind of scan the plot a little bit. I don't want to give away too many spoilers. I want to kind of talk about a little bit more of, you know, what made, what, what, what really made this movie, you know, near and dear to my heart and, um, the little things. And I think, I guess at the end of it, we'll kind of figure out like what, why it is such a cult classic and potentially why it didn't, didn't make it to, uh, make it to quite, uh, quite the mainstream fame, at least, uh, at least like, uh, many other, the, of the movies done at the time. So The Big Lebowski actually came out in 1998, and it's a black comedy crime film produced and directed by Joel and Ethan Coen, the Coen brothers, tremendous, amazing. Um, It stars Jeff Bridges as Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski, a Los Los Angeles slacker and avid bowler. Also starring David Huddleston, Uh, he was in Blazing Saddles, he was the judge and the producers, he was also in It's Always Sunny, amazing actor, funny guy. Uh, he plays the Big Lebowski. John Goodman is in it. Amazing. Sam Elliott, who is the um, who is the narrator of the movie, tremendous voice. He actually has some on-screen time too. Very very cool. Julianne Moore is in it. She's great. Steve Buscemi is tremendous in it. Steve Buscemi, who plays Donnie in the movie, is he puts on basically a clinic in how to act without being the forefront um you know there's something if i was going to make a sports analogy there's something you talk about players basketball players you talk about basketball players who who play well without the ball you talk about how well they can play without the ball and that's a really important thing because sometimes athletes in general i guess anyone who works in a team environment when there's a main task being done, sometimes other other job job or other other employees or other teammates might want to slack off a little bit. Or in the case of basketball, if you don't have the ball, you might feel like, oh, I don't have to really do too much. No one needs to really guard me. I can just stand here. But what you're doing without the ball and setting up other things, and of course, there's plays in basketball where you're moving around. But again, the way you can think and and still still contribute to the team, even without actually having the ball and scoring a basket, how you how do you uh, contribute to your team um, while at the same time you know get like again doing your job at the same time. Obviously, you don't have the ball; you're not going to score the two points. But what you did, maybe you set a pick, maybe you set someone up. Again, playing without the ball. We all understand how that works. Steve Buscemi in this movie 
acts without the ball amazingly. He stands. He's in. The, he's in these scenes, and he maybe he doesn't have a lot of lines. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of uh, speaking parts. But the way he stands and his mannerisms and his eyes and his facial expressions, they speak so much. And it again, it just adds a depth to the scene. And, and all that amazing stuff. John Turturro is in it. Phenomenal. Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. Tara Reid. Uh, David uh, David Thewlis. Um, he's uh, he's Remus from uh, Harry Potter. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Peter Stormare. He was in Fargo, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Prison Break. He's like that kind of generic Russian dude. Uh, and uh, Ben Gazzara, who was a, who's a famous TV and stage actor. Um, they were all in all in supporting roles. Um, when the Coen brothers wrote the movie, they 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 it was they said it was loosely inspired by the work of Raymond Chandler. Chandler had an, an immense stylistic influence on American pop popular literature. He was a he was a an author, and the protagonist of many of his novels, uh, Philip Marlowe, is considered by by some to be synonymous with the private detective. So, essentially, it's like the you know the classic guy in the in the office with his name on the glass, and you come in there, and he's wearing the he's wearing the hat, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he's got the gun in his holster, and you know you're trying to find someone, and hey, you know. Um, there's a crime that's been committed, and now you got to go solve it, right? You know, there's many movies like that. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, obviously, many more, you know, kind of more of the classical genre, but um, really interesting. So, um, uh, Joel Cohen was saying, we wanted to do a Chandler kind of story, um, how it moves episodically and deals with the characters trying to unravel a mystery, as well as having a hopelessly complex plot that is ultimate, ultimately unimportant, which is very, very true to form um, of uh, of the Big Lebowski. Um, again, you know that 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 brings us to the plot. Without going into too much depth here, there's so much more to the movie. The magic of the Big Lebowski really does. I I, I watched it. I watched it just before doing the podcast tonight. The beauty of the movie, honestly, is this: there's a cinematography to it. Um, there's dream sequences that the Coen brothers do that are just phenomenal. And I'll speak a little bit to to what the Coen brothers movies truly are, kind of kind of near near the end. But again, just there's there's just almost a barrage of of things that are happening. It's almost like the movie just kind of keeps you on your toes constant events happening and there's so much where where you don't you f- you almost feel uh i wouldn't go as far as unsettled but just like you're 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 just kind of off balance and there's so many ins and outs and what have yous it's just tremendous um so you know it's set in the early 90s so there's a lot of like gulf war references and stuff um like i mentioned los angeles soccer jeffrey the dude lebowski um, he is uh, he it start the movie starts with him getting assaulted by in his home by a couple of enforcers sent by Jackie Treehorn, who is owned money by the wife of another Jeffrey Lebowski. Uh, one of the goons um, destroys the, destroys the dude's rug. Um, advised by the dude's bowling partners, Vietnam uh, veteran Walter Sobchak and Donnie Karabatsos. Uh, the dude goes and visits the Big Lebowski or the other Jeffrey Lebowski. 
he eventually he eventually um convinces Brant to uh to take a different rug he obviously tricks him into it Brant is uh Philip Seymour Hoffman's character played really interesting almost like just so on edge and that's uh, it's it's just tremendous and um um when when the dude is leaving with his rug he meets bunny who is uh the big lebowski's kind of trophy wife um and um so soon after the dude gets home he gets a call from brant thinking oh obviously it's about the stolen rug and then he's got to go back and try and find bunny who apparently was just kidnapped so again lots of lots of different stuff happens it's amazing just just the way there's there's a confidence in some of the characters and the way that they all kind of approach each scene is so fascinating and each character kind of comes in and this is just the way the coen brothers do it but each character kind of comes in and out seemingly out of nowhere and just ah it's just it's just really really well done um uh, eventually, Maud, uh, who is the big, uh, who is the big Lebowski's daughter, who is played by Julianne Moore, she comes on the scene, and um, basically she kind of lets lets the dude know that Bunny kind of you know is is already involved with a lot of these characters. She's not really kidnapped; she probably kidnapped herself, and uh, turns out that the big Lebowski kind of kept the money for himself. Um, and there's a big there's a big confrontation outside after they all kind of figure everything out and and tell the big Lebowski to go fuck himself or whatever and um, they're they're going home and the dudes that supposedly kidnapped bunny were trying to get this money out of out of the dude and his and Walter and Donnie and there was never any money anyway man the big lebowski took it and these guys were just fighting so walter kind of goes vietnam on these guys and snaps and then poor donnie has a heart attack and dies um and there's just something about there's a eulogy at the end where where walter is talking about donnie and donnie's life and it slowly kind of devolves into this diatribe about vietnam and it is so funny and so wild and it's just like one of those things where you I guess you could see someone doing that. It's really really interesting. I mean, you know, the the way the way the the Coen brothers write their movies, right? They they tend to have some characteristics of their characters to be very relatable and then some of them to to almost I mean, some characters almost have a supernatural ability. I guess if you're talking about Oh Brother Where Art Thou it's basically Homer's Odyssey, so some of them have like actual powers and stuff. But um, like, there's just there's just a really interesting um, relatability to, to the Coen Brothers characters. I guess Fargo is another great example of of just normal people. That there's a, there's a, I guess it's what the something like The Office is built on. That there is something so interesting, kind of in the mundane. Uh, happenings of of day-to-day life that um, even though it may seem you know monotonous and um, and like trivial there's actually so much deep meaning and so and everyone that is going through that 
you know, yeah, they're going through that mode, but underneath it all, there's so much more brewing. Anyway, it just makes for a very interesting palette in, in that sense when you're writing a movie. You can create a lot of diff- different sub sub kind of plots, if you will, or even just in scenes, you can add ri- richness to the fact that, yeah, it's just a boring scene, you know, in a, in a convenience store, or in a grocery store, but you know that these characters have different different emotions and stuff under the surface and they're just going through what they have to do to to live a normal kind of social life ah who knows right it's pretty deep it's it's wild it's out there but i always find that with those coen brothers movies that although it may seem superficial there's always something brewing under the surface which is so realistic and so true to life the one really cool thing about the big lebowski is its soundtrack has a tremendous soundtrack really eclectic if you want to go out and find the soundtrack itself go listen to it amazing songs on there you know all types of different different artists um the coen brothers when they were coming up with the when they were coming trying to figure out the the music for the movie they asked t-bone burnett who i mentioned in the um folk music podcast um t-bone burnett who would later work on um with the coens on oh brother where art thou and inside lewin davis like i mentioned the folk folk music podcast go check that out um they uh they asked t-bone to pick the songs for the soundtrack of the film um while the coens were writing the screenplay they had kenny rogers just dropped in to see what my condition was in the gypsies king cover of hotel california and several several credence clear water revival songs in mind so it's really cool you know, when I was doing that research and found that that fact, it's like, you know, the Coen Brothers, when they're writing the the, they're when they're writing the the movie itself, they actually have songs in mind, which is actually really interesting. I never I never thought of it like that. Um, they knew they wanted different genres of music from different times, but as Joel remembers, T Bone even came up with some far out Henry Mancini and Ima Sumac. Um, Burnett was also able to secure songs by Kenny Rogers and the Gypsy Kings and also added tracks by Captain Beefheart, Moondog, and Bob Dylan's The Man and Me. Um, The one thing is he did have trouble securing the rights to Towns Van Zandt's cover of the Rolling Stones' Dead Flowers, which plays over the film's closing credits. So either I guess T-Bone really wanted it or the Coens did. But former Stones manager Alan Klein uh, actually owned the rights to the song. He wanted $150,000 for it. Uh, Burnett con- convinced Klein to watch an early cut of the film and remembers um, it got to the part where the dude says, I hate the fucking Eagles, man, um, which is a classic line. And Klein stands up and says, that's it. You can have the song. That was beautiful. Burnett was going to be credited on the film uh uh, as music supervisor, but he asked his credit to be music archivist because he hated the notion of being being a supervisor. Um, he was quoted as saying, I wouldn't want anyone to think of me as management. Um, for Joel, the original music, as with other elements of, of the movie, had to echo the retro sounds of the 60s and the early 70s. Um, to, to them, the music defined each character. So... Um, for example, Tumbling Tumbleweeds by Bob Nolan was chosen for The Stranger at the time the Coens wrote the, wrote the screenplay. Um, so The Stranger, Sam, Sam, uh, what's his name again? I always forget. Sorry, brother. Uh, there you are. 
Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott's character is the stranger who's like the narrator and, you know, potentially someone else. But um, that that song, Tumbling Tumbleweeds, um, was kind of his signature, as was Lou Young by Henry Mancini, was for Jackie Treehorn. The German nihilists are, are accompanied by Technopop and Jeff Bridges by Credence. So, like I said, there's basically a, a musical signature for each of the characters. Um, and and again, you know, that's that's a really interesting device where it, it's really cool with movies when when you kind of notice these little things. Or obviously, these are from interviews, so it's the filmmakers talking about it. But when you notice certain things like, I I truly believe, like especially in the great movies, maybe in some movies that are kind of become accidental hits, things happen by accident, but I don't think anything ever happens by accident. I think each little thing, every bit of the scene that we see, someone's had a hand in doing it. That's what's amazing about movies. So to think and to know that the filmmakers are doing stuff like this and, and creating music not only creating music that's score, which kind of makes sense, but using original songs that kind of match the characters' um, personalities, I think that's super, super cool. And that's what really, really makes these these movies in depth. And I know that the Coen brothers, that's how much how much effort they put in into their movies, for sure, which is amazing. Um, it's funny, you know, this movie, when it first came out, it kind of received mixed reviews. It's kind of one of those movies that, again, when when you watch it for the first time, it's it's bizarre. It's really out there. It kind of has a, you know, like I mentioned, that really superficial story of you know someone coming destroying a guy's rug. A guy has to get a new a, a new one, and he gets kind of wrapped up in this in this bullshit story. And but again, the more you watch it, the more layers you see. And again, the more it's revealed that there's so many intricate little pieces that maybe the plot might be, you know, might be pointless, like they said with those Chandler Chandler stories. But um, but again, that that intricacy comes out, which is so, so fascinating. And at, at the end of the day, sometimes when it doesn't mean anything, it's again, another commentary on life that sometimes things you know, like they say on, on It's Always Sunny, sometimes things just end. Um, but um, over time, the reviews became largely positive and the film became a cult favorite. Favorite, again, noted for its eccentric characters, its comedic dream sequences, idiosyncratic dialogue, and eclectic soundtrack. Again, all the stuff we just talked about. Um, in 2014, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress being deemed culturally, historically, or, aest or aesthetically significant. So again, one of those movies that becomes a cult classic that's almost mainstream. I don't know if I don't even know if you can actually see this on, on screen, but I have a little bowling ball back here, which is actually a big Lebowski bowling ball. It's... <laughs> It's almost like, again, I guess you could call Nightmare Before Christmas a cult classic. You call Rocky Horror Picture Show a cult classic. Like, they're cult classics, but they're so mainstream and everyone knows about them. I guess you could own, I guess you could, you could consider that cult in the sense where it's not everyone loves it. Maybe it's known, but that doesn't mean not everyone, that doesn't mean everyone loves it. 
is a cult classic only when a few people like it or it's very has a very esoteric audience i don't know um or is a cult classic something that most people hate and there's only a few people that really love i don't know but um the few people that really do love this movie um, at least some of them put on this thing called Lebowski Fest, which is so cool. And I remember hearing about it and thought it was so cool and always wish I wanted to go to it. Or I, I wish I always got to got to go to it. I think they're still doing it. Obviously tough with COVID now. Um, Lebowski Fest is an annual festival. They, it actually began in 2002 in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, celebrating the Big Lebowski um, In addition to its home city of Louisville, Lebowski Fest has been held all over the U.S., and it's typically held over two nights, and it features uh, a screening of the film, of course, live music, uh, and a bowling party attended by fans of the movie. Many of them dress as characters of the movie, and like you know, obviously they go over the top. They find really cool move, uh, really cool characters in the movie to dress up. Obviously, not just the big three, but um, you know, Walter is always going on on wild rants about Vietnam and his friends that died died face down in the muck. And I remember seeing a, a picture from Lebowski Fest of some guys that painted their face and wore camouflage and said that they were the guys that di- that died face down in the muck. Um, you know, again, there's little there's little things in the movie, right? Like, you know, the dude the dude drinks a lot of white Russians, which is it's just it becomes one of those one of those key factors and you know they talk about that all the time at, at, at Lebowski Fest and everything um now the again like i mentioned before you know the Coen brothers movies they have a complexity they have a richness they have a depth to them while while still maintaining that kind of you know shallow shallow superficial feel but there's been a lot of fan theories about kind of what this movie means. And that being said, you know, sometimes who knows, who knows if there's actually that kind of meaning um, past than what they kind of show you on the screen. I mean, you know, any movie you can kind of look at it and think, okay, the writers were thinking about this. They had all these influences and you kind of think past the movie, oh, if, if that world was still going, what was happening, what was happening before, all these different aspects to try and figure out the plot and make sense. But again, sometimes movies really truly only exist from start to finish and you your mind has to kind of go, okay, if the screenwriters or the filmmakers didn't actually explain it to us in that hour and a half or two hours, two hour period, that's not on the table anymore. But I think a lot of people, when they're trying to come up with fan theories, they just bring everything in and they kind of go wild. So some of these fan theories are out there, but some of them are pretty cool. So one of the one of the fan theories that I'm actually that I actually think is really cool is the Sam Elliott character, the Stranger. And you know he's really interesting. He's kind of like a Western dude, and he's also the narrator of of the movie. And rarely do you see. So in there's a couple scenes where where the dude and the stranger actually speak to each other and they meet. And there's actually some some theory that the stranger kind of is like God, basically. And, you know, it's really interesting. Who knows that that if that's true, that that doesn't necessarily change or alter alter the um, alter the outcome of the movie. But it's really interesting to think that well, maybe this is this om- omniscient 
you know, omnipresent voice, you know, person telling us the story. And all of a sudden the Coen brothers, you know, chose to personify him actually in the movie. Really interesting. Uh, another theory is that the dude is actually the Big Lebowski's illegitimate son. So that's why they have the same name. And, you know, maybe maybe the Big Lebowski had him when out of wedlock when they were little kids. And or sorry, the Big Lebowski had him out of wedlock when he was younger. And then all of a sudden he comes back and just so happens that they have the same name. Who knows? That's an interesting one. Um, another another interesting theory we came came across was uh, the trio. So Donnie, um, Walter, and the dude, uh, they represent different takes on the American dream. So the dude represents the American concern for doing the right thing. Very interesting. Uh, Walter is the proud, self-proclaimed war hero. And Donnie just wants to kind of get by in life. Basically, the ignorance is bliss kind of thing. So very interesting kind of different takes. I mean... It's, it's an interesting device kind of using the trio um, in writing because you basically with three different personalities, you can kind of get different viewpoints on almost any situation. And again, you know, Walter was obviously crazy wild, you know, super out there, super in your face. Donnie is the complete opposite. He almost, has, he almost doesn't say anything at all and stays in the background. And then the dude is literally neutral as hell. Um you know, some, some Zen, um, some Zen Buddhist masters actually have looked at, at the dude and the way he acts and, and the way his philosophies are and say that the dude basically embodies the entire Zen philosophy. So that's really, really interesting. Um, you know, obviously, like I mentioned before, sometimes these movies don't really have any extra meaning to them they're just there to be looked at they're there to be portrayed it's almost like a painting right like certain paintings you do love them because they have depth because they have extra meaning but then there's other other paintings or sculpture where you just appreciate it for what it is you just see it there and you can just take it again superficially for what it is and i find the coen brothers movies to be very much so like that you know they're I, I talked about a little bit about this in the in the folk music podcast where I talk about Inside Lewin Davis. The Coen Brothers movies tend to be this window into the characters' lives, whether for how long the movie goes on, whether it be a week, whether it be a month or a year. You just seemingly kind of come into this ongoing storyline and you kind of pick up the pieces as things go. They tell you the the important things. And then as the story goes on, you kind of are learning the characters simply through their behavior. There isn't really explicit like, oh, here is what this person is and this is what they do. You kind of figure that out through the movie. So it's really interesting. So in some ways, it's almost like you kind of just got to take it for what it is. You got to just look at it and appreciate it, which is, again, it's almost like a, a, a it's almost like a Zen practice where you're you're basically you're you're just there to to experience and then you let the experience go and time keeps moving and the storyline keeps going on and they live their lives as you do and, and you live your lives as as, uh, as they do, right? Whatever that means. <laughs> um, you know, obviously I have I have some personal, personal um, connections with the movie. 
I guess my parents were probably the first ones to show me, but anyway, I just remember watching the movie and just, uh, I fucking fell in love with it. In high school, I would watch it all the time. In fact, in high school, I watched it, um, I, I watched it through and then like I watched it from start to finish and then I just started the movie again. So yeah, maybe I was obsessed with it, but uh, it was just amazing. I really got into bowling. Um, I would drink white, white Russians if I had the chance. Um, obviously you can't drink too many of those, but Hey, you know, they're tasty. Um, but again, you know, just, just really cool. It was, I guess it was the aesthetic. Maybe it was the Zen, the Zen mindset, but I just love this movie so much. And if you've never seen it, please go check it out. Um, you know, no matter, you know, no matter what happens, um, you know, this is a time where if you're listening to this now, it is uh, January 4th, 2022. Happy New Year, everyone, by the way. Um, Ontario ha- uh, is about to go back into uh, kind of a, a mini lockdown, which I never really thought was going to happen again. Super disappointing. But as the dude says, you know, there's strikes and gutters and ups and downs and you got to kind of keep rolling with it. Right. So that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep rolling. Um, obviously, we can't go out and bowl right now. Hopefully, uh, hopefully when things open up again. But again, that's that's all we can do in these times is is kind of keep our head down and and uh, keep our chin up and our fucking nose to the grindstone and and hit the deck, but stay on our motherfucking toes. Um, but yeah, again, check out this movie if you've never seen it. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, go check us out on our Patreon, patreon.com slash the big mark pod. Um, there's lots of cool tiers and different ways you can support the podcast there. Hit us up on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram at the Big Mark Podcast at the Big Mark Pod. Um, like I said, I always want to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. I love you all. Can't wait to hear from you. Big Mark abides. Take it easy. Peace. <laughs>